Now, as you can imagine, there were a lot of critics who came to Dr. Carter and they were telling him, they said, listen, everything that was going to be discovered in the Royal Valley has already been discovered. You were just simply wasting your time. But he continued to dig, and, and finally one day, one of his uh, workers came over to him and said, do you see anything over there? And, and he looked over and he said, I do. And, and he went over and there was a small opening that turned out to be an opening to an ancient tomb. Well, whenever they began to excavate it back, he, he went inside the tomb, they, they put a, a light on, and he was surrounded by gold. They had discovered King Tut's tomb. And over 3,000 articles were discovered in there. It took over 10 years to complete the excavation of T King Tut's tomb. Now, after that had happened, it was very interesting. There were many people who came, and they said whenever they looked into that valley, all they saw was sand. But whenever Dr. Carter looked out over that valley, he saw treasures. Now, I, I thought about that, and I thought, as, as Christians, there are many times whenever we look out at the landscape of our world, and, and all that we see is sand. We, we don't think that there's really much left that Christians can do, that there's really not much left that, that a church can do in order to make an impact. A, pre, a Pew Research Center did a study from 2007 to 2014, and here's the conclusion they came up with. They said the Christian share of the U.S. population is declining while the number of U.S. adults who do not identify with any organized religion is growing. Moreover, these changes are taking place across the religious landscape, affecting all regions of the country and many demographic groups. While the drop in Christian affiliation is particularly pronounced among young adults, it's occurring among Americans of all ages. The same trends are seen among whites, blacks, and Latinos. Among both college graduates and adults with only a high school education, and among women as well as men. Okay, so as, as Christians, when we look at a report like that, it's not like something we celebrate. We look at a report like that and we think, man, we're in trouble. We look at a report like that and we think, man, it's, the church hasn't been effective and there's really not much else we can do. But I want to share with you that I believe this, I really believe this, I believe that God has a big calling for his church. And I believe that God has a big calling for Village Church, that God has called us to make a difference, that God has called us to make an impact, even while everybody else only sees sand, God wants us to see that he can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Now the question is, well, then what do we do? You know, how do we do that? And so what we have decided as a staff, we got together and we said, what we want to do is we start off 2018, we want to just simply tackle the first 100 days as a church. What are we going to do as a church for the first 100 days where we can begin to make a difference? Well, it starts off today. We, you notice we're wearing these shirts. We have our V groups fair today. And, and our desire is for every person, as many people as possible, to plug into one of our V-group ministries. And our V-group ministry is just simply, it's a, it's a place of community where we meet together in homes and Bible study. We gather together, we pray for each other. We simply look to see how does God's word apply to my life in the 21st century. It's so one of the very first things we are doing in the first hundred days. 
Uh, another thing that we're going to be doing to sort of gear us up for a big year this year is on February 4th. We are having Super Big Sunday. Now, this is also known in the, uh, in the secular world as Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, but we're going to call it Super Big Sunday. Because our desire, what we want you to do on that day, is we want the church, we want us to come together, wear your favorite team jersey, especially if you're a Gamecock. So you come on into the church, wear your, I'm kidding, everybody, settle down. Furman, obviously. But wear your favorite, wear your favorite jersey. Come into the church, we want you to, to bring friends with you because we want on that day as many people as possible to hear the good news of Jesus. So that's going to be on February 4th, March 18th. We're going to do something called the Big Serve. So what is that all about? Well, after we gather together for worship, we're going to have a few service projects out in the community. And after we worship together, we want the church to go out together and to serve in specific areas in our community to put our faith into action. Now, why do we want to do that? Because we believe that when people actually see Christians living out their faith, that it makes a difference, that it draws people to Jesus. And then April 1st, we are going to have Easter. It is the biggest service we have every year at this church and probably every church in America. And so our desire is that on that day, that this place will be filled with people. And I want you to be praying that God will move on that day in particular and change lives. Because we believe the greatest message out there is Jesus' victory over the cross. That Jesus rose from the grave. And then we're going to finish it off with this in the first hundred days on April 22nd. We're going to gather together in one service. Now, we can't fit everybody in this room, so we're going to get a tent, and we're going to put it outside, and we're going to pray for good weather. And so we're going to put a tent outside. We're going to gather together. What we'd like to see is we would like to see a choir, a big choir come. So if you sing, you need to talk to James and Jonathan. We're going to have a big choir. We're going to have food trucks out there after the service is over. But all we're doing on that day is we're going to celebrate what God has done in our lives and in the church for the very first hundred days. Okay, so that's a lot of stuff. We're going to put those dates down so that you won't forget them. But we are expecting and we are praying this year for God to do big things. Okay, so speaking of big things, do we have any examples in the Bible of people expecting God to do big things? We do. And that's why we're looking today in 1 Samuel chapter 17 in verse number 31. And today in our scripture, we're going to see the example of a young man who believed God for big things. Now, if you looked at him on the surface, you'd say, this isn't a very big guy. His name was David. David was just simply a shepherd. But he believed God could do big things through him. And as he trusted God we see some things that God provided for him in his life. And I believe that he will provide the same things for us when we trust in him. Now, I believe this. I believe one of the greatest elements that is missing in our lives today, in the life of the church, is people believing in God for big things. Because I think what's natural to happen is typically what we see is we see big obstacles. And whenever we see big obstacles, and I'm the same way, I look at those obstacles and I think those obstacles are insurmountable. 
Those obstacles that I'm getting ready to face, I can't have victory over them. Well, that's why we're going to look at David today. Because David, in the scripture today, had a big obstacle in front of him. It was a giant. His name was Goliath. Now, if you looked at Goliath, I mean, Goliath was a man that was about 10 feet tall. He was a man that was wearing 150 pounds of armor. He was challenging the Israeli army to come and fight him. And everybody was scared to death. Now, if I saw a guy like that, I think I might run. I mean, whenever I look at, at, at what he was all about, I think Goliath is probably one of the most intimidating people in all of Scripture. The Bible says the Israelite army, when they saw him, they were greatly afraid. Now, let me ask you a question. In your life, when you have big obstacles, how do you face them? When you see challenges that come your way, do you become greatly afraid? Because I want you to know that you don't have to be greatly afraid. See, the Bible tells us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But to see that happen, we have to trust. We have to trust in our God. Trust in him for big things. And if we do that, there's some things that he provides. Now, what does he provide? Well, let's look in our text today. The first thing I see that God provides when we trust him for big things is God will provide you with confidence. He'll provide you with confidence. Look with me in verse number 34 or 31. It said, What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, King Saul, and so he had David brought to him. And David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him, by Goliath. Your servant, me, will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, You can't go and fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. For 40 days, Goliath had been challenging the Israelite army to send a warrior out to fight against him, and nobody would do it because they were greatly afraid. And then here comes this this shepherd boy. He says he's a youth. His dad had sent him to the camp. His brothers were there to bring them food. And as he shows up to bring them food, he sees this 10-foot-tall guy standing out in the valley of Elah. And he's challenging an Israelite to come out and fight him. And it's interesting to see how David responded to this challenge. If you happen to go and look in verse 26, it says, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. And here's what David said. He said, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's just a shepherd. But here's what I like about him. He was so confident. He shows up, this guy's challenging the entire army, and David's like, who is this joker standing out in the middle of the field talking about our God like that? Like that somebody needs to take this guy out, and I'm the guy to do it. Now, you could say he was being arrogant. Here's why he's being confident. Now, now why was he confident? Was he confident because, because he was a great fighter? David, he's a shepherd. He's a youth. He's, he's not a soldier. Was he confident because he had incredible self-esteem and his mom always built him up? <laughs> that wasn't it. I mean, maybe she did, but that's not where he got his confidence from. You know where his confidence came from? His God. He said, who in the world will insult our God like this and be able to stand? He knew that if God, he knew God was with his people. 
And he's like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Y'all know that verse, Romans 8, 31, it's what it says. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have that kind of confidence? Do you have the kind of confidence where you believe God is with me, therefore there is no obstacle that I cannot stand against? Now, if, if you become a person like that, if you become a person of confidence like that, let me tell you something. There are going to be some people who will look at you and see you as being arrogant. You know, if, as a church, if we decide that, if we say, hey, listen, we believe God has called us to big things, there will be some people who will look at us and say, who, does, who do they think they are? Why, why, why do they think that what they are saying is important? They need to be quiet. They need to keep their mouth shut. Anytime you have confidence, especially in God, there are people who are going to think that you are being arrogant. Whenever King Saul saw what David said, how did Saul respond to him? Well, he responded to him by saying, you're just a boy. You're just a youth. Who do you think you are? You can't do anything great. But David's source of confidence was not in himself. His source of confidence was in God. And yet many times whenever we face obstacles, you know, we are not standing on solid ground. We are standing on shaky ground because our faith and our confidence is not in God but we have placed it elsewhere, and typically it's in ourselves, and when we look at ourselves, we think, I know me, and I can't do a whole lot. There's a story about a man, and he wanted to hang a picture in his house. He's a really short guy, and so he got up on top of his chair, and he got a nail, and he was going to hang the picture up, and he didn't think it was high enough, so you know, this guy's really short, and so he went down, and he got a, got a stool, and he sat on top of the chair, and he climbed up there, and he thought, I, just a little bit more, it needs to be a little higher, and he got a box and set it on top of the stool that was on top of the chair. And by the time he got up there, he, he, he was just simply tapping the nail because the foundation was, it was just moving back and forth. And his wife was getting irritated at him. She said, how in the world can you hit that nail hard and expect, how in the world can you not hit that nail hard and expect to drive it in? He said, how can I hit the nail hard when I'm standing on a shaky foundation? And I think there are many of us, as, as we are trying to, we, we say we need to hit life hard, but we can't do it because we are standing on a shaky foundation. Many of us have placed our trust and our confidence in ourselves instead of in the God of the Bible, and we know ourselves very well. We know that we are weak. We know that on our own, that there's only so much that we can do, and therefore we can't hit life hard. But whenever we trust in God, God will provide you with something. He'll provide you with confidence. A solid foundation on which to stand where you can say, it doesn't matter what obstacles are coming my way, I can stand firm in Jesus and know that there is victory. What does he provide us with? He provides us with confidence, but he'll also provide you with experience. He'll provide you with experience. Now look at me in verse 34. And this is right after, after Saul told him, you can't do anything. David answered Saul. Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God." That, that is a confident kid. Would you say that? I mean, just, if you look at what he says, this guy is full of confidence. 
He just showed up to bring food to his brothers. And now he's telling them, I can take care of this guy. I mean, I know we have an entire army here, but I can handle this guy. Why? Because God is with me. How did he have that confidence? Because of past experiences. What was David's job? Shepherd, right? So he's a shepherd. What's the job of a shepherd? Take care of sheep. And sometimes, now I've told you all before, sheep do not have any natural defense mechanisms. You've never heard of sheep attacks, right? Doesn't happen. They are, they are cute animals, but let me tell you, they are not, I mean, they, they are, if you are looking for a guard dog, you don't get a sheep. Sheep get eaten. That's what they are good for, to be eaten and to wear their fur as coats. And I wish I had one right now. So anyway, so, so that's, just, I mean, that's just what they are. So as, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd has to protect the sheep. He has a staff. And they had, pred- they had predators in Israel. And predators like lions and bears would come in and try to kill the flock. So the shepherd's job was to beat back the predators. David said, this happened to me before. He said, there was a lion that came to try to kill one of my sheep. And I grabbed my staff and I did what I had to do and I ran that lion off. There was a bear that came to kill one of my sheep. And whenever I called out to God, God gave me victory. Think about that. David grabbed a bear by his fur, and then he killed it. So why was he confident? Because he looked at his past experiences. God had given him victory in the past, and he knew that when he came into the future and he faced another obstacle, it's like, I've faced obstacles before. And what's happened whenever I've relied upon God? God has given me victory. Once you face storms, when the next one comes, they're not as bad. 2 Corinthians 9, or 12, 9, Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what happened with David? When he was weak, it was then he saw the power of God. Whenever he was weak and on his own, and he faced a lion, he faced a bear, God gave him victory. Well, guys, let me tell you something. A big mistake we make is when we know what God's Word says, we know what God desires for us, and yet we don't put it into practice. That's a waste. I read a story about a guy named Mike Nicholson. Not you, Mike Nicholson, but another Mike Nicholson from Kalamazoo, Michigan. When he was 71 years old, he attained his 30th degree of higher education. Let me share with you some of the degrees he has. He has one bachelor's degree, two associate's degrees, 22 master's degrees, three specialist degrees, and one doctorate. He said his goal was to get 33 or 34 degrees in all. He said that would take me to about like I'm 80, 81. He said then after that, I can pursue another field of study. This guy loves to go to school. Now, what's interesting is that one of his professors talked about him. He said, Mike is an interesting guy. He said he loves school, but he's never had a job in one of his fields of expertise. He takes on menial jobs just so that he can simply go to school. Okay, now having degrees, there's nothing wrong with having a degree. But guys, what is the point of having a degree if you never use it? If you never apply? Knowledge is a great thing. But if you don't ever take that knowledge and apply it and use it, what is the point? I mean, tell you, it is, that is absolutely worthless. Now, the same kind of thing happens in, with Christians all the time. We know what Scripture says. We, we know what, what God desires for us. And yet, many of us don't do anything with it. We, we, we like the knowledge, but we don't want the responsibility 
And guys, whenever we do that, we are shortchanging ourselves. You see, the Scripture tells us don't just be hearers of the Word. We are to be doers of the Word. And as we do, then we discover the power of God. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You might say, well, how does that help? It means we don't have to be fearful of the future. We don't have to be fearful of obstacles. Why? Because Jesus is with us. Uh, Matthew 28, 20, I am with you, says always. How long is always? It's always. In good times? In bad times. God is is with you and when you know that it provides you with confidence but you only learn that through experience but then here's the final thing God provides when we trust him and it's deliverance God gives deliverance to his people verse 37 then David said the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Again, incredibly confident statement. What did, what did David say? David said, The Lord will deliver me. He will deliver me from Goliath. I love people who are confident like that. You know, it's always fun to see somebody who actually believes and what he says. Love it when somebody says, now David wasn't, he was not saying these things. Now it's different to say it and believe it. Then, you know, you'll see some people who say outrageous things and they're just sort of trying to pump themselves up. You know, it's like, you might think, maybe David was just saying that to, you know, to, to jack himself up to go out there to fight against Goliath. That's not what it was. David believed this and his belief was not unfounded. Deuteronomy 20, listen to what it says. It says, when you go out to battle against your enemies, and see horses and chariots for people more numerous than you, what does the Bible say? It says, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt, is with you. Have you ever sensed God calling you to do something? Maybe even to do something big. But you didn't do it because you were afraid. That ever happened to you? It's, it's happened to me. And let me tell you, whenever we don't trust God, what we are telling God, whenever we say, God, I, I can't do that, I'm afraid, we are telling God, Lord, I don't trust you. Lord, I don't believe in you. I don't believe you can provide. And when we have that type of attitude, I promise you, every time, here's what's going to happen. Nothing. I mean, there are so many times when we wonder, where is God? Why don't we see God move in big ways anymore? Why don't we see him do something extraordinary in my life, in the life of the church? And too many times the reason why is very simple. We don't trust him. Because we've forgotten who he is. Now I look at David and I look at his statement. He says, God will deliver me. Now it's easier for me to say, that God will deliver me if it's already happened. David said it before the battle. God will deliver me. That is confidence. That is faith. When we have faith that God can work through us to do big things and then we act on it, guys, that is faith. And we are telling God, 
I believe that when you tell me something, it is true. God will never call you or me, this church, to do something that he will not fulfill if we'll trust him. I have an example of this. My parents had this book that I, I, it, was, I, it was fascinating me when I was a little boy. It's about a guy named John Patton. And back in the, uh, there's uh, some islands in the South Pacific called the New Hebrides Islands. They weren't discovered until 1606, and they had no Christian witness in this island at all. But in 1839, there were two guys who felt called by God to be missionaries to that island. Okay, now I, you look at that and you think, man, if God's called them there, it's going to be incredible. They went there. Within 20 minutes of landing on the New Hebrides Island, they were murdered by the natives and cannibalized. I'm looking at that thinking, God called them there? What's up with that? Amazingly, even after that story came out, there's a man named John Patton who felt like God was calling him to go there as the next missionary. How many of you are signing up for that gig? I'm like, you know what? I think God might be calling Matthew. Not me. Okay, so John Patton gets this calling. He takes his wife and son, and they go to New Hebrides Islands. On the journey, his wife and son die. What's going on? He gets there, and he's able to survive for about four years until the natives finally run him out of town. He has to catch a boat. He leaves, but he can't get away from the calling. God has called you to these islands. Several years later... He's remarried. He returns to the island. They're not excited to see the guy again. He shows up. He has a house. As he is looking out, it's nighttime. His entire house is surrounded by the natives, and they are coming up to kill him and his family. He begins to pray, and as the men are moving towards them, all of a sudden, for some reason, they disperse and they leave. The chief becomes a Christian. And John Patton has no idea what's going on. So he goes to the chiefs. Why didn't you kill us that night? He said, because when we came to attack your house, we looked up, and he said, there were men wearing shining garments, carrying flaming swords, and we knew we had better not mess with you. Today, the New Hebrides Islands, because of men like this who were not fearful, who believed God for big things, 85% of those islands claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times we give up and we refuse to believe God for big things because we're scared, because of peer pressure, because we feel like the obstacles are too big, but we forget the size of our God. And we forget that when God calls us to act, he will be with us, and he will fulfill his purposes. Now here's the question for you and for me. Are we ready to see God do big things? Do we believe that God can do big things? Now, if if we're going to trust God, let me tell you what God will do. God will give us confidence. God will give us experiences to look back on that can motivate us. And God will provide deliverance. Now, for some of us, it's time for us to give God the biggest thing that we have. It's our lives. And some of you need to give your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. I will follow you. I will serve you. I will surrender my life to you. And if you've never done that before, I'll I'll encourage you to do that. Say, God, today I give myself to you. 
And for the rest of us, I want to encourage us to take this time and to begin to pray to God and say, God, I am going to believe in you and trust you for big things. Trust that you're going to be, do big things through my life. Trust that you're going to do big things through the life of this church. I'll encourage you, begin to pray and say, God, would you open up doors of opportunity for this church as God is he's going to send hundreds and hundreds of people next door to this church in this new neighborhood and other neighborhoods that are cropping up. Let us pray that God will use this church to impact the lives of those people. Pray that God will provide you with opportunities and with boldness to invite your friends to fellowship with you in your, in your V group or in the worship service. Pray that God will, will bring change into the lives of people through the ministry of this church. Tell God today that you're not just simply going to talk about your faith, but you are going to live it. And then what will happen? That's what I believe. We'll see big things. We will see God-sized events happen. And I don't know about you, I am hungry to see God move. Heavenly Father, I am, I am grateful for your word. And Jesus, I am grateful for the story of David and Goliath. How there was a young man who many saw as being foolish, but he was a man who trusted in the bigness and in the power of God. And Lord, he had victory. I pray that we will be a church that will see victory after victory as people come into a relationship, a saving faith with Jesus, as we will see marriages healed, as we will see young people who will begin to follow you, as we will become a community of believers who will serve and love this community for the glory of God. Jesus, bless us this year. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. Lord, may your name be lifted high through the ministry of Village Church. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.